quote. Emperor, we come for you. You know, we could do an entire show just about our opening before we actually hit the record button and it would be yeah. hysterical. I I am willing to bet you a hundred bucks says <laughs> you did not share the sound for that intro. I saw your screen, but mm. I don't think you were sharing sound. It's <laughs> your sound. <laughs> Are you sure? I did. <laughs> yes, I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> it is checked. Okay. Oh, you got to be kidding me. You didn't hear anything? Oh, I heard it. Oh, you did? Okay, we'll see. <laughs> I hate you so much. <laughs> going to be awesome. <laughs> oh. I hate you. Well, who knows? There may, there may have been sound. There may not have been sound. At this point, it was checked. <laughs> it was checked. <laughs> oh, It's the best part of my week right here. All I heard was wow after uh, after I hit the record button. Yeah, that happened. Yeah, that did happen. <laughs> yeah, that 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 absolutely did happen. But you know, we're here. We are here. We're we're here now, and we're supposed to be doing something. And uh, I don't really know what we're supposed to be doing. What are we supposed to be doing? Um, I don't know. What Re- do we do here at the Fusion Underground? Re- record something or other. Well, uh, I don't know. That's great. Should we even do the intro? <laughs> well, it's episode number 70. Is that a landmark? 70. Yes, it is episode number 70. We're quickly approaching 100. That's insanity. Isn't it? Yeah. So Thank here God we haven't got enough notoriety to be taken away by the feds yet. But <laughs> Right, right. Well, you know, Facebook did go down today. And uh, you are not on Facebook, so therefore you survived the great Facebook outage of 2021. Yeah, it was so it was so devastating. I didn't even notice. Yeah, yeah. So um, the I'm sure if you were to measure the overall productivity of Americans um, from about around the hours of eight to oh, I don't know, one p.m., eight a.m. to one p.m., I'm sure productivity spiked. Or maybe it didn't because maybe people no. were just busy, too busy, just checking their phones yeah. out of habit. I don't believe that. I, I think that my guess is probably productivity went down significantly because people freaked out human beings went into lack of information overload and yeah the the inverse of information overload the lack of information they completely imploded mentally they didn't know what to do had some people breaking down emotionally like their family members and friends that they never talked to are suddenly going to (laughs) fall off the face of the planet and they're not going to know anything about it and what the hell am i supposed to do with my life yeah kind of like that I don't know what kind of food John is eating today. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have pictures. 
of his lunch. What is going on in the world? I must know. Yeah. How well, sad. How sad is that? Right. I'll, I haven't checked CNN tonight, but I'll bet you that made the news. Oh, it was already on Fox News. I saw an, I saw you a, go. an article on Fox saying how, you know, Facebook was down and out. Um, interestingly enough, you know, they had some whistleblower come out trying to talk about, uh, well, just basically talking crap about Facebook. And uh, so it was a good enough amount of time for that Facebook was out, out of uh, commission where they probably could have deleted a bunch of, you know, sensitive information prior to being investigated by the federal government. But, um, you know, who, what, what do I know? I don't know anything like that. Yeah. I... So, but anyway, here at the Fusion Underground, what we try to do is we try to make sense of the world by having principled discussions about such topics as entertainment, current events, politics, and culture. Our mission is to educate people to become critical thinkers so they can live more empowered and happier lives. As always, I'm your host, Manuel Ramirez, and I'm joined in the virtual studio, as always, by the one, the only, the amazing, the reverend, the beautiful Jason Moret. How are you doing, sir? I'm good, brother. How are you? <laughs> Oh, I'm doing peachy. It reminds me of a the you keep adding on titles. I, I'm going to sound like <laughs> Apollo Creed, you know. <laughs> <laughs> For all you kids, Apollo Creed is a fictional character from oh. the movie Rocky. Oh my gosh, you're going to make me feel even older than I did. You know, it's funny. I actually had a moment. You, you'll appreciate this. I, I had a, a referral packet come out across my desk and the name was Richard Tracy. Oh, really? Yes. That was a good old... Uh... So I was like, oh, that's cool. Look, yeah, that's, that Dick is Tracy. cool. You realize that there was one person in my entire building that actually knew who the hell Dick Tracy was besides me? Wow. That's sad. Yeah, that is sad. The sadder part is there is probably at least 40% of our listening audience that has no idea who the hell Dick Tracy is either. Well, right first now. of all, you assume we actually have a listening audience. Well, I know of at least three people. That's an audience. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> if I can captivate two people, I have an audience. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So what are we talking about tonight? Oh, I know what we're talking about tonight. Oh, good. I'm, I'm, I'm glad at least one of us does, right? Yeah, well, you don't expect me to actually come prepared to this. That's what makes it genuine and real. <laughs> I am Fair fulfilling enough. my Fair duty Fair by enough. not being prepared for our discussions. <clears throat> well, so what we are going to talk about today, um, we're actually going to talk about um, different concepts that people uh, fail to recognize and lead them to make all kinds of erroneous conclusions about, well, life, society, etc., because oh, our wow. mission here is to educate people to become, you know, just to live more empowered and happier lives. Right. And, and, you know, we talk a lot about ideology on this, on this show and how mm -hmm. ideology can be very dangerous. Um, but some of these concepts relate to how to detect ideologies. Um, and, and we'll, we'll talk about that. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we mentioned how there was a poll conducted that showed like 49% of Democrats in, in and around New York City believe that if you get COVID, then you have a 50% chance or greater to go to the hospital. So people are yep. thinking, you know, there's a huge number of people who believe that if you happen to get COVID, that you're going to wind up in ICU. That's what sure. they believe. Mm -hmm. 
And well, how do they get there? And that's what we're going to talk about. Those concepts of failures in logic. And this is, well, it's really quite systemic because we don't teach this kind of stuff in high school anymore. Well, and, and unfortunately, I think for the vast majority of the American public, at least I'll speak to this country anyway, um, we get our information and are fed how to react and how to think based on what we hear, see, and take in um, with the various media platforms that we utilized. I mean, you mentioned Facebook, right, it's right. a perfect example. I mean, that is a platform that really tells everybody whether you want to believe that or not, but it's giving you a set set of rules on how to believe, how to think, and how to react to information based on how others are doing that. Right. And in fact, the whistleblower that I mentioned earlier, that's something that she was talking about was how Facebook through their algorithms picks and decides what it is that you're actually going to see. And her allegations, her claims are that if Facebook shows you things that are not um, anger inducing or just emotion inducing, then you're not going to want to click on it. You're not going to want to read it. So her claim is that, hey, we want to put things in your face that are going to get a rile out of you um, because then you're going to want to click on things. So their algorithm specifically. Now, I think, do I think that there's some some truth to that? Sure. I think there's some truth yeah. to that. Um, but I think there's that same level that we've talked about that just with the, the mass media uh, platforms and outlets. I mean, um, CNN, Fox News, uh, all of them. If it's, if it's mass media, it's doing the exact same thing. And we talked about this before. <clears throat> the news media is a business. And in order to get you to engage, you have to be intrigued. And that does include being appalled or angry or upset. Yeah. So those things that actually elicit those reactions from you are going to be their headlines. Yeah, good stuff. Speaking of headlines. Go ahead. I have a, head I have a headline for you here. Okay. This one, it comes to us from newsbreak.com. They had an article, woman claims her sex toy nearly killed her and burnt down her apartment. How's that for a headline? I'm, I, I have, you have elicited a... You're intrigued now, aren't you? I am intrigued. You've You're elicited intrigued. a response. <laughs> I want to click <clears throat> on the article and hear more. <laughs> What the hell kind of on a specific spot <laughs> and read what? it? What? Yeah. So it here's the here's how it starts out. A woman has revealed how her vibrator almost burnt down her apartment. Posting to the confession subreddit, she explained that she had used a vibrator a few weeks ago and forgot to unplug it. It remained forgotten in her bed until it almost caused a fire. <clears throat> she wrote. Quote, I woke up with the thing going on beside me because I got super drunk last night and rolled on top of it, which flicked it on. It's completely melted and my whole apartment smells like burnt plastic. I honestly think it was minutes away from setting my whole apartment on fire, which is both embarrassing and terrifying. She added, moral of the story, always unplug your vibrator. Oh my gosh. There you go. I, I have so many questions and comments. Uh, well, go oh, ahead. Okay. <clears throat> One, 
I am not an expert in uh, ladies' sex toys, so pardon my ignorance. I had no idea that there were vibrators that you actually plug in. So that's news to me. That's scary. Any any toy that requires that level of power that you cannot supplement with some AA batteries is terrifying to me. So that's one. Two, at no point did I hear my drunk, dumb ass left it on, and it's my fault. There's an implication there that this is a bad um, production item and therefore should have either been recalled and shame on the person who made the sex toy. Um, no, shame on you. Three, what the hell are your sheets made of that a... <laughs> That a, a vibrator is actually going to catch fire and then set your remaining house on fire. I don't know. I have lots of questions about what's going on in your bedroom. Probably most of them I don't really want to know the answer to. And four, what do you say to the 911 operator when you call? How does that conversation go? 911, uh, what's your emergency? Yes, I have an out of control sex toy. It is literally running around my house, setting shit on fire. <laughs> how about how about this headline? This one is from the Daily Mail. <clears throat> the headline okay. is hot sex, colon. I added the colon. It's actually a two dot colon. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I get I get it. You, you didn't have to. Thank you for clarifying. You're welcome. Well, you know, I didn't necessarily do it just you for you. To, I clarified no, I for was, our listeners. Well, you were right. You were reading. Okay. Uh, so from the dailymail.com, hot sex, colon, firefighters called to put out blaze, find flaming vibrator. Yeah. Emergency services were called out to extinguish a burning sex toy that was on fire at the side of a road in Austria. Firefighters thought they were putting out a burning tire, but were stunned to discover the flaming object was actually a vibrator. A motorist reported a burning tire on top of a manhole cover. That's an interesting sentence. In the town of Miming, in the mountainous Austrian state of Tyrol. I don't even know if I pronounced any of that stuff right. But after it was extinguished, firefighters realized the burning object was not a tire, but a womanizer vibrator. Womanizer is capitalized, so I'm assuming it is a proper noun in that's, this case. That's got to be the name, product Yeah, name. the name brand, mm -hmm. womanizer. Yeah, that's awful. <laughs> <laughs> Fire Brigade Chief Alexander Sagmeister said, at first, it was not obvious. We just extinguished the fire. When firefighters scoured through the charred remains, they found a piece of paper saying, thank you for choosing Womanizer. The note promised women a world full of sensual experiences that will enrich you and your life time and again. Well, I'll say. <laughs> I can't make Guar this up, man. Guaranteed to heat up your sheets. Yes. What the hell it, is going on with women's toys, man? The paper continued. It read, colon, by choosing the womanizer, you are not only guaranteed orgasms that are beyond comparison, but also an entirely new lust for pleasure. The exact model of vibrator is not known because that's important. You know, there might be other people out there that have a womanizer and uh, <laughs> might be a little nervous from that. Yeah. I don't understand how any of this makes the news, but I'm so glad it does. I am too. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, oh my God. There. This is what happened when we get cheap products from China. Right, right. <laughs> how, how about this one? This is, uh, this is from thehill.com. Men caught smug. Okay, before I, before I read this, you know how in New Zealand everything is locked down? right now maybe you don't maybe you do for anyway yeah, for, for yeah. those who don't who are unaware new zealand has been pretty much on lockdown for the last year and a half they they go on they go off of lockdown and they lock down and they go off of lockdown so um if you're living in auckland new zealand you pretty much can't do anything you're confined to your house um more so than you are here in the states in some cases but so that's important for this story Okay, to understand that men caught smuggling trunk full of KFC into locked down Auckland. Yeah, police in New Zealand caught two men trying to smuggle a trunk full of KFC into Auckland, which has strict COVID-19 measures that ban takeout orders from restaurants. We now live in a world in which KFC in your trunk is illegal. Hey, man. The two hey, you want some gravy? <laughs> What you got? <laughs> Special recipe, right? The two alleged gang associates. How do we go from just two dudes to now all of a sudden this is like, you know, you know, the so Sopranos. There's, there's a silver lining here. What I don't think people are recognizing. Gang activity now does not involve crack. And, nope. you know, KFC. And it's KFC. It's fried chicken. Yeah. Yeah. The two alleged gang associates were caught by police after they noticed a suspicious looking vehicle on a gravel road which then tried to evade police. These guys are like the running moonshine <laughs> what is a out of the backwoods of Kentucky. What does a suspicious vehicle smuggling KFC look like? Look like? I don't know. Is it like the El Pollo Loco chicken going right. down the road? Because <laughs> that would make sense. Says the vehicle was searched and police located the cash alongside empty ounce bags and a large amount of takeaways. <laughs> <laughs> it's a road DoorDash guy. <laughs> yeah. Pictures showed three buckets of chicken, 10 cups of coleslaw, and other items from the fast food chain, according to BBC. Police also found $70,000 in cash. $70,000. Hey, don't fade the colonel. No, I'm telling you, it's bad. Yeah. So Auckland's level four lockdown means all restaurants must remain closed, including no takeout. The two men could face a hefty fine or jail time for violating public health guidance and other charges likely to arise as a police as police investigate the incident. That's how I'm going down right there. Smuggling, Smuggling KFC. KFC. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'll cut it. I'll cut it with Boston market gravy, though, just because, you know, it's KFC gravies hard to come by. Since we're being completely inappropriate <laughs> with our news, I got one last news item for you for y'all. Oh, I'm all ears. <clears throat> you ready for this one? I think you're gonna feel this one. I, I doubt it, but I I think you're gonna feel it. Or you might just be completely like anyway. This one comes to us from futurism.com. The headline Doctors Intrigued by Man Who Jizzed Out of Butthole. <laughs> Okay. Dude, I just get paid to read the news. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
No, you don't. <laughs> oh, the sub headline is that's not how it's supposed to happen. You think? Oh, yeah, uh, really? Wow. <laughs> I'll be darned. It says here, um, <clears throat> scientists were puzzled by a bizarre case study. A 33-year-old male. Oh, I hold on. Uh-huh. I need to be consistent. Scientists were stubble, were puzzled by a bizarre case study, colon. Colon. <laughs> <laughs> a 33-year-old male with a history of illicit drug use who'd been experiencing a substantial amount of sperm passage from his rectum with ejaculation for the past two years. According to a study titled "A Curious Case of Rectal Ejaculation," now <laughs> you you emphasize past two years with shock yeah. and ah, yeah. Well, why? If you were dripping jizz out your ass, don't you think you would have seen somebody by now? You waited no. two years. Yes. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. I concur with this man's decision <laughs> to not repeat his problem. Abs 100%. I don't, I actually, I know mo most guys I know probably go, you know what? That's it's just a me thing. And I'm, I'm not even, <laughs> I'm not even going to bring that up. I'm not going to tell anyone different. Don't jizz ass shame me. Right. It, yeah. Or something like that. Something uh, like that. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, two years. Yeah. Probably my wife would go, honey, I think you need to have that looked at. <laughs> <laughs> but are, am I shocked by waiting? Two years? No, not at all. Absolutely not at all. Actually, two years, I'd say he was pretty right on it. <laughs> In crude terms, the unfortunate patient was Whoa. jizzing out of his butt. I'm like, in crude terms? <laughs> What's not been crude up to this point? That, that disclaimer is misplaced in this article. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know who they got editing over there at the futurama.com or whatever it is, but that's not, no, no, no. Uh, the article goes on. The man had experienced five days of testicular pain, doctor said, noting a substantial amount of urine and sperm coming out of his rectum. A CT scan of the man's pelvis later revealed he was experiencing a chronic case of rectourethral fistula. I'm sure that's what caused it. An extremely rare condition in which there's a new anatomical connection between the urethra and rectum. These cases are, are usually caused by other conditions such as prostate cancer, rectal cancer, surgery, or severe trauma. The researchers note that a large number of cases have occurred during times of war. What? <laughs> well, you know, grenades go off, you get shot in the ass. That, um no something I, I, something about wait 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 okay stop no mm -hmm. we gotta stop no read that again researchers have shown what well, let me read the paragraph again yeah these please. cases are usually caused by other conditions such as prostate cancer rectal cancer surgery or severe trauma all the research so far Right. The researchers note that a large number of cases have occurred during times of war. You got to do the math and figure out how severe trauma could occur during a time of war. Well, no, no, all right. Don't be a smart ass. All right. Well, I understand that severe physical trauma and, but I don't know, rectal cancer, uh, prostate cancer, 
it it, it seemed the first when you read that it seemed as though that was a another category not oh. a subcategory ah. which made me very concerned mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. sure mm-hmm. gotcha yeah the cause wasn't immediately clear the man denied having undergone abdominal surgeries rectal manipulation and penetration or rectal trauma it's just yeah. it just sounds it's bad not, nothing uh, yeah. <laughs> The words rectal manipulation. <laughs> like, you what does that even do... mean? I'm not explaining it to you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think everyone out there knows exactly what that means. Like, well, no, I don't. I'm like, I'm like, the only thing that comes to mind is like a lump of Play-Doh. All I all that comes to mind for me is that scene in uh, Ace Ventura when Nature Calls when he's trying to you know push his head and his body outside the rear end of the rhino. Uh, later, it turned out the patient did spend three weeks in a comatose state thanks to a combination of cocaine and PCP. <laughs> you have no <laughs> idea what happened. For three weeks. Yeah. The, the Foley catheter, a flexible tube used to drain urine in hospital and hospitalized patients may have caused significant trauma at the time. Uh, so while he was in a coma from PCP and cocaine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I have been around a lot of people and patients mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. have had a urinary Foley catheter placed. <clears throat> I have actually personally placed a handful, if not large number of those catheters. I can tell you that having a new connection between your urethra and your colon is not on the list of associated potential risks. Hey man, I'm just, I just, I I just read. I I don't, you know. Yeah. Well, I'm (laughs) telling you that's a bunch of BS. (laughs) Sorry. Jizzing out of your butt is not of risk of getting a Foley catheter put in your pee-pee. Hey, I, I don't judge, man. I'm judging all day. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot about this story. Ain't passing the smell test. No pun so, intended. Before we get into the, to the main topic, I do have an email from a, from a loyal fan. Oh, yeah? Good. Yeah. It's directed to you. My fine That's feathered friend. Scary. <clears throat> That's concerning. Yeah, this is this is from this is from our listener Michelle. She says, Hey Jason, I love when you go off on a rant and Man- and Manuel brings you back to point. You two definitely complement each other, although I cannot imagine you two hanging out together. Michelle, neither can we. <laughs> Good news, Michelle. It doesn't happen very often. <laughs> He goes on and says, in the episodes when you discussed Shanti's books, you said, quote, none of the women I know want to have sex with the lights on, end quote. Uh If I remember correctly, you married your high school sweetheart. So that begs the question, who are these other women? Did you take a poll of your friend's wives? Was it door to door? (laughs) Wow. Um No, uh, I can honestly say thank you, Michelle, for such an astute question and observation of my words, <clears throat> throwing them back in my face. I appreciate that. Yeah. So how dare you quote me? No, don't quote me. <laughs> I, I say a lot of dumb shit all the time, although you probably know that already. Um, 
what I, I guess I should qualify that statement saying most of the women I know, I would have very serious doubts would want to. Meaning that I don't think I know a single woman who would admit to actually wanting to have the lights on. That's about as far as I can go with that. Okay. I, yeah. I gotcha. I'm sure as heck not going to take a poll around my workplace. Hey, coworker, friend of mine. You should do that. Yeah. <clears throat> Keeping in mind, we just went through our sexual harassment training. Let me ask yeah. you a direct question. <laughs> Do you like banging your husband with the lights on? <laughs> I would probably rephrase that question. You in should a take bit a poll. Yeah, you should. You should take a poll. I think that would be. Uh, I, I thank you. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, this is why we don't hang out more often because it doesn't take much to egg me on. And that's probably all it would take. But unfortunately, that would either at best would cause me to get fired. Yeah, well, you know, so don't do it at the workplace. There you Ooh, go. There you go. <laughs> Thank you, Michelle, for that very insightful email. Thank you, Michelle. I appreciate that. Yep. Yeah. And we'll have to, to come up. Actually, I've been thinking about our little segment. You know what really grinds my gears? Mm. I'll have to actually do that. Seeming is how Michelle really appreciates the, the Jason style rant I get on and you trying to bring me back. We ought to do that. Like you don't do that enough already? Obviously not. <clears throat> Fair enough. Oh, All right. Okay. <laughs> so let's talk about let's talk about what it, I, I bet just, we've just been having fun doing everything else. I mean, at this point, uh, show's over. I guess we might as well just uh, call it a night, huh? You're gonna call it a night. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna talk about some some concepts here that often lead people to um, erroneous conclusions. Um, you know, and a lot a lot of times people. Well, you know, the sad thing is, is we don't we don't teach this kind of stuff in school, at least uh, at least anymore. If, if we ever did. <clears throat> you ready for this one? Uh, I'm 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 trying. It sounds like you're you're a couple thoughts ahead of the rest of us, though. So, um, yeah. Well, so so let me give you let me let me give you an, uh, an example here. OK, so one idea. of the so one of the concepts here. <clears throat> really these concepts help to form our various biases. And so we have to, at times when we're presented with, with some kind of, a, of an idea, typically conclusion maybe that somebody else has reached for us on our behalf, especially when people come and say, I read it in the newspaper in the New York Times. And you're like, well, how much does the New York Times really know? But there are a lot of people who they hear a ton of information out there in the, in the ether, okay, in media, and they, they draw very, very wrong conclusions based on that information. So, for example, there is this concept called the law of very large numbers, right? This is just mm -hmm. one concept. So the, the law of very large numbers, basically what it states is that if you have a large enough data set, you have, you know, just millions and millions and millions of things then just about any pattern that you want to observe, you can observe because it's so gigantic. Does that make sense? Yes. Why don't you give us some examples? So a perfect example is um, in, you know, you might have 
a million to one odds that somebody will get struck by lightning. Okay. Let's just say. Right. Um, But then yet in, in a place like New York city, for example, where you have 8 million people, then one in a million thing, one in a million odds, those, those actions or those events that are one in a million, they can happen like eight or nine times just because you have per day, just because you have so many people. So the odds are that somebody is going to win it or somebody is going to get hit with that. Right. It doesn't matter what the odds are. When you have a large enough data set, eventually you'll be able to find one that qualifies. Sure. <clears throat> when you have very, very small data sets, like the 20 people in your family, the odds of something like that are, are so infinitesimally small that it's going to happen in your family. It's practically, or even in your local community, in your neighborhood, there's just not enough people or not, not enough things for the event to occur. But when you have a massive metropolis like Los Angeles, New York City, Phoenix, you know, here in Phoenix, I don't even know how many people reside in the just in the metro area itself, like 5 million people or something like that. Um, But there are crazy one in a million, one in 5 million events that transpire every day just because we have so many people in the local area. Right, right. It's, It's the same kind of thing when you're looking at it, let's say, well, like the lottery. You know, the, the odds of winning the lottery are one in, I don't know what it even is now. Like the Powerball is like one in 2 million or something yeah. like ridiculous like that. Right. Well, when you have an entire nation of people actually playing, somebody's going to win. Somebody's got to win it. Somebody's got to win. Right. So and that's how they get you to buy tickets. Right. Exactly. So when you're looking at a lot of those statistics, unfortunately, like you said, if you're looking for a pattern, you can find one. Um, or you can make one. And and really, if you're going to actually try and take data like that and analyze it, you have to actually break it down into smaller subsets to be able to truly analyze and look for what's going on. You can't say, like your example, um, getting struck by lightning. Well, just because eight people potentially in New York were struck by lightning last year, that doesn't mean we need to outlaw thunderstorms because they're an overwhelming danger to society. You know, right. it, and so by drawing those kind of conclusions out, I mean, you can see how re- how easy it is to get from something so minusculely, almost impossible to creating a very logical reaction. But when you mm-hmm. actually extrapolate the data out and look at it, you go, well, that's retarded. Right. Speaking of speaking of. Uh, well. Speaking of stuff. retarded. Speaking of, there's there there's another concept called Brandolini's law. So this this Brandolini's law, it's also known as the bullshit asymmetry principle. Okay, and so what that means is it takes a lot more energy to recognize and debunk the bullshit that you hear every day than it does to actually produce it. Oh, yeah. So we see this in the media all the time. For example, <clears throat> just the other day, um, what's his, he's a, and now I'm blanking on his name. Um, he's a, used to be on ESPN. He's a, a big left winger. Um, I'll think of his name in a minute. He, he did this, he did, he did this interview. He did You're not this, helping like, the rest interview. of us. I know I'm not <laughs> helping in the interview, but he, um, 
he did this, he recorded this TikTok video or some post online. And basically he went on this whole rant that said people who refuse to get the COVID vaccine, they're not doing it for body autonomy. They're not doing it for any other reason other than they're fearful. Okay. They're afraid. They're terrified. They're just afraid. They're afraid to get shot. They're afraid. Uh, they're just afraid. And in a fraction of the time it took for him to actually record himself and put it on the internet, so many people had seen it. And all of a sudden, all over social media, everybody was saying, just get the vaccine. You're stop being afraid. Just get the jab. And immediately that whole concept began spreading like wildfire because nobody stopped to think, are they really afraid? Could there be outliers? Why did he say this? Uh, and, and so now when you try to refute that and you try to, if somebody comes at you and they're just get the vaccine, you know, be, stop being afraid of everything, stop being scared, just get the vaccine. And you're like, wait a minute, here are the, re let me lay out the reasons why it's my choice and why I don't want to get it. It doesn't matter because they've already heard the BS mm -hmm. and the amount of time it took to hear the BS and propagate out there was a fraction of the time. And it's going to take far more time and energy for you to try to convince them that their viewpoint is incorrect. And sure. you probably won't even be successful. No, you won't be successful, but they know that. And they're counting on yes. That. Yes. And they do count on that, that, that anybody who would, who would seek to refute anything, they say, well, you're just an obstructionist. You're, you're an opposition. You're, you, I mean, think of the names and, and most people, most people, um, and no, I haven't done a poll, Michelle. So just, I'm just saying most people, I believe, um, don't want to, they don't, it's not worth the time or energy to try and even refute it. They just go, yeah, you think whatever you want and move on. And I can't blame most people if that is truly what they think for saying that. But I mean, you turn that same thing around say, well, I think that anybody who's upset about people not getting the vaccine, you're just afraid. And you're just acting out of fear and you don't even know why you're just afraid. You're a big fear monger. Right. right. Well, refute that. <laughs> um, another one of these concepts here to keep in mind is the Semmelweis reflex. So people tend to reject any kind of evidence that doesn't fit into what they believe to be the, the, the prevailing worldview of things. Um, this was actually named for a surgeon, uh, Samwise, and this was before they discovered that germs were actually a thing. And what the surgeon, what he, what he said was, he said, Hey, you know what? Maybe we've got all these people who are getting sick. Maybe we should wash our hands to help prevent infections and transmission of disease. He was actually ridiculed because at the time doctors didn't wash their hands, you know, midwives and things didn't wash their hands. Um, and he was ridiculed and actually locked away in a mental asylum because his views were so contrary to what was already established within society that these things called germs or, you know, this idea that there's an invisible thing that passes from me to you. Uh, that's, that's just, that's just crazy. That's crazy talk. Right. Right. It's, it's so, it's so ludicrous. It can't be true. You it's yeah. yeah. That goes against everything I know and everything that I I've held dear to almost to the point, I guess you could, you see the same type thing a lot with, um, 
um, cults or yeah. um, ideological adherence. I mean, we, we've talked about that whole thing. I mean, even bold and undeniable fact can be dismissed as absolute crazy talk. Mm-hmm. I mean, we see that all the time right now. Well, you're, you, and of course, when that is refuted, it's always with a label of some sort. Oh, and always negative. Um, and you hear things like, well, you must be, you're just a, uh, a Trumpist. You must be just one of the, uh, you're a Trump supporter or, well, you, you just must be one of those, even, um, you're just a liberal, um, you're a socialist, you're this, you're a fascist, you're a, di- you know, all of that stuff. It just, boom, that's the, that's the immediate retort. Well, and this, this ties, this dovetails nicely into the whole concept of, of science, right? And with the COVID thing, we've got a lot, there's a lot of people that they, you know, they call anti-vaxxers or whomever, Trump supporters, whatever, anti-science, right? <laughs> and then we've, we've got some people that hold up the idea of science as if it is some perfect thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So first of all, and it, there's no such thing as research without bias. Sure. You can, you can work, very, work very hard to try to reduce your bias, but to say that scientists are without bias is, is just a dumb thing to say because no, they're human. It's just ignorant. They're human, right. right. Um, they're ignorant. But there's, there's a, there's a, because even in the sciences, we have scientists who rise up to be the, pre, the preeminent thinkers within their particular space. When you combine that with the Semmelweis reflex, okay, you end up getting people that um, they're they're preeminent in their field, and they whatever they say, they get to set the worldview, and we've seen that happen in real time sure. with Dr. Fauci. Exactly what I was going to say. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. He is the foremost preeminent virologist in the United States. And so whatever he says, there's a large part of our society that takes him at face value and says, that is the baseline. That is true. Whatever he says is true. We have to recognize that he has biases himself and there are things that are affecting him. But what ends up happening is in the situation is there's this concept called Planck's principle, which is the idea that science progresses one funeral at a time, because you get these individual researchers or scientists that are basically setting this worldview and nobody else can challenge and break through with them through from their thinking and come up with new ideas because they're passed away. Right. And so you have to wait until they die off so that other scientists with different ideas can finally rise up. And if you think about that in terms of science, science becomes a very, very political landscape. Sure. Absolutely. Very open to influence. And, you know, okay, well, since you brought up um, Dr. Fauci, and I'm not picking on him necessarily, but he's just an easy example. He's an easy example that everybody can actually relate to. So I'm going to use it. Um, There has been absolutely no question that the um, narrative, not narrative, excuse me, the direction coming from Dr. Fauci in response to COVID has drastically changed from just a year ago to now. Mm -hmm. Right. 
do we honestly believe that the virus has drastically changed that much in a year? I would, I would argue, no, I don't think the virus has overwhelmingly changed that much. I believe that our understanding of it has evolved over the last year. I believe that the science has proven and disproven things we thought to be true just a year ago to now. And I think that for a lot of people who are quote unquote following or not following the science, you have to really look at the data sets that you're being provided and, and understand everybody is a science of habit and a science of nature. If you are willing to separate yourself from it and observe. Um, and one of the things that I in particular fault Dr. Fauci for, so I am picking on him in this regard is recognizing the own change of narrative just from a year ago till now. You know, there's a lot of people that say, well, you're not following the science. And I, I've heard that for a year and a half. Yeah. I'm sure you have too. Yeah. And I, I tend to argue, no, actually, I'm, I am following the science. We'll, we'll take the vaccine just as an example. Okay. I'm not picking on the vaccine, but I'm going to use it as an example. Um, the big push for the vaccine and the, the, the mandate that's coming down right now is that this is a, a pandemic of the unvaccinated, right? Mm -hmm. Well, following the science and following the data that we have is that the vaccinated are able to spread the disease as easily as the unvaccinated. Oh. If that statement, a pandemic of the unvaccinated were true, then the vaccine would hold merit because it would protect everybody from spreading the disease. As it stands right now, just following the data, the vaccinated and the unvaccinated spread it with equal regularity. The only difference is the amount of severity of symptoms experienced by those who are vaccinated versus unvaccinated. If we can agree on that, at least, then the risk for not getting vaccinated falls on those who choose not to get it, knowing that they are more likely to suffer more severe consequences and effects of the disease. Sure. If that were true, then the vaccinated have no more risk of not only catching the disease, but no more risk of spreading it than the unvaccinated do, no more risk of mortality than the unvaccinated do, and therefore there should be no additional push for those who get it versus those who not because the effects are actually not communicable to the unvaccinated versus the vaccinated. So where is the push? And this is just based on the data and the facts that we have up to this point. Again, following the science. I, I'm not saying I'm for or against either way. I'm just looking at what we've got. So where is the drive? You're asking me directly? No, I mean, that's a general <laughs> question. If, if yeah. you feel inclined yeah. to answer it, I well, mean, I, I have my personal feelings on it, but I'm trying to take a neutral stance in following yeah. the actual science and data of the situation. Well, and, and you know, and if I, if I were to give you an answer to it, I would, I would be, you know, I, I would be um, explaining my own personal beliefs about where that's coming from. And I believe a lot of that is coming from um, a very politicized, politicized area because yeah. we're not, and, and there's reason for that because one, we do know that um, hydroxychloroquine, what is it? 
uh, hydroxy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that we do know that that is a, a good therapeutic and, and studies are now showing. And there are, there are a lot of doctors who have seen, yes, they're not doing studies, but a doctor is allowed to practice medicine and they are, they are giving their patients who pop positive with COVID they're giving them uh, regimens of hydroxy and zinc um, and vitamin C and vitamin D and, and people are doing really well, even when they're just given the hydroxy. Um, so we know that that is actually a good therapeutic and people are making turns around, turnarounds very, very quickly. Yes. We also see very good results with the, uh, the Invermectin or Ivermectin, whatever it's called. Now there are, yes, there is a version of that drug that is used for as a horse dewormer, but that is not the only thing that that name is applied to. The name of Invermectin is also applied to a human drug, a drug made for humans that is antiviral. So, but we ignore those. And the question becomes why, why is it that a large percentage of our population of our society wants to ignore and beat down those people who say, what about hydroxy? What about Invermectin? What about, mm-hmm. what about losing weight and not being obese? What, what about exercise? What, what about these other things to do to protect yourself from not getting sick? And nobody wants to talk about that. It's just simply get the, get the vaccine, shut up and get in line. And so therefore I don't, I don't have any other conclusion to draw other than, well, then this has to be political for, for Mm -hmm. most people. Yep. And, um, again, not, not anti-vaccine by any means. Absolutely not. The let's just pretend for the sake of argument that everybody 100% of Americans got vaccinated. Is the belief truly that COVID will disappear? I think most people believe that. I think most people believe that. However, all of the people that I have heard say that or allude to, to say that they actually believe that have also said things that, well, this is the new normal. Right, right. Well, but if this is the new normal then you don't believe that the vaccine will actually get rid of COVID because if you did, then you wouldn't say this is the new normal. Right. So, I mean, what is the foundation of the belief? Right. Well, and all we have to do is look at places like Harvard. Is it Harvard? I believe it's Harvard. Harvard had 100% vaccination because they, they mandated it for all of their employees and they mandated it for all of their incoming students, returning in new students and well, as well as returning students. So everybody at Harvard had to get vaccinated and yet there's a COVID outbreak on campus and Harvard has moved back to virtual classrooms. Right. So we've, we've seen, we, there was a story that was out today about New Zealand. Granted, we were just kind of making fun of them in Auckland there, but New Zealand finally came out today. Now keep in mind that New Zealand had vaccination rates upwards of 80%. Yeah. They I had, think it was higher than that, actually. It might have been like close to 90%, something around there. They had one guy, one dude. He went to Australia. He came back into New Zealand and he was positive for COVID. One person. And they shut the country down. They shut New Zealand down. 
and yet it began spreading mm -hmm. and they had an outbreak. Now, for you know, it's very fortunate, very fortunate that within that in New Zealand, only about 23 people have passed away from COVID. Okay, that's good. It's not great. Anything more than zero is right, is unfortunate. Don't get me wrong. But you know, they don't have hundreds of thousands of people dying from COVID. Um, but they had one person, they shut everything down, and today the uh the government came out and said, you know what, this whole COVID thing, it's not going away. So we're just gonna have to learn to live with it. They finally announced that today. So yeah. they announced that they're going to start rolling back all of the lockdowns and everything. Um, well, I think it's because my personal opinion, why are they doing it now? Um, I want, I wondered, well, when is the New Zealand, um, when does New Zealand have their host, their elections? That was the first thing that crossed my mind. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing is, well, somebody must not be liking the old, the old uh, revenue receipts generated from taxes because yeah. everything is shut down. Everything shuts down. Right. And if government if shut, doesn't get its cheddar, if you shut everything down, then that means government's not getting paid. Right. And I think government's a little freaked out right about now. So they're going to roll it all back. Of course, they're not going to say that, but well, not out loud, notes. not yeah. out loud anyway. <laughs> so going back to the whole science thing, yeah. there's this, there's this other concept called the bias against null results. So if you and I wanted to do a study about whatever, about anything, we do a mm -hmm. study, we write it all up, write the protocol, we conduct the study. At the end of the study, we don't find anything of note. So there's nothing surprising that we found. Mm -hmm. Most people think that when you run an experiment, when you run some kind of a study, which that's what a study is, it's an experiment. Most people believe that when you run an experiment that you find something interesting. Mm -hmm. nine times out of 10, you really, really don't. Right. But even when you do find something that um, you, you, you're, you, you analyze your results and you don't find anything surprising, what you've actually done in most situations is you've confirmed existing belief within the science community. And when I say belief, I'm not talking theory because it, it's very difficult to create a theory, but there are these things called frameworks and whatnot. Um, but anyway, that's a research frameworks there, but when you confirm something, all you're doing is you're just, you find, don't find anything interesting. All you've realized is, yeah, we've got more evidence that helps support what we already think happens in the world. Right. The problem with that is it's really not interesting to publish. Mm-hmm. And so what ends up happening is, well, they don't really get those types of studies don't get published, right? They don't get any notoriety. They don't get any notoriety. Mm -hmm. So when you, when you read, most people don't read these. Um, but when people go out and they read these science journal journals and read the articles, what's contained in those articles or in those journals are articles that find something of interest. And so most people think that there are more interesting research happening than there is less interesting research. And the opposite is actually true. Almost every study that's conducted doesn't find anything of real interest. Right. And so the vast majority of studies that are conducted every year, or at least conclude every year, don't actually see the light of day because, well, quite honestly, they're just not interesting. Right. Did you see the, the economic study um, that was done by the U of A last year? I did not. Yeah, nobody else did either. 
That's <laughs> point taken. Well, but that's what I mean. And, and it's interesting, you know, a lot of, of research studies and things like what you're talking about, if you think about all the ones that we hear about coming out of, you know, Yale and Harvard and this school of business, and we hear about all of these all over colleges, all over the United States and, and yeah. elsewhere around the country. But we don't hear about all of the, uh, you know, the metric crap ton of others that are happening yeah. at the same time because they're just generally not interesting. Well, or at least right. not at interesting least enough to get to published us. in the, right. you know, um, the medical journals or, you right. know, the economics foundations. And you know what I mean? Those kind of things that are actually published out where the general consuming public is actually right. going to take interest to them. And it goes back to what you and I talked about. I mean, very early on in the show tonight was that if it's not juicy and doesn't elicit some sort of response or emotional intrigue, people don't click on it. People aren't right. going to look at it. And people who are publishing those kind of things, they don't even put it in because they know it's not going to generate enough interest to gain, to garner revenue. Well, and let's not forget the other side to that is, and, and that is the journals themselves. So when you, when you submit these article, when you write us, write up your study in an article and you submit it to a journal, you actually have to go through several different rounds of peer review. Mm -hmm. And these, you know, the individuals that are doing peer review, you don't know who those people are. They don't know you. They're just looking at your, what, what it is that you've written. Um, often what ends up happening is they ask you, they request, or in many cases require that you modify what you actually wrote mm -hmm. because they don't agree with you, but they have, they've never seen anything that you've done. So they have no idea what it is, what the hell it is that you've studied, why you did it. They, they really don't. They, they don't have any, any clue into that. And yet they want you to rewrite whole sections and take this part out and no, rewrite that. That part doesn't, doesn't sound good to us. You're literally hinging the results on one or two people's opinions who know nothing about what it is that you studied. And then they still get to determine whether or not, or recommend that your article be published in the journal. And then you still have the main editor of the journal um, and if you think for a second that the main editor of the journal is just going to print anything and everything that comes his way or her way, you're mistaken because many of those individuals, they're, they sell these journals. So there's a lot of money at hand. Okay. And well, if it's not juicy enough, or in some cases, if it doesn't uh, support an already established belief in an ideology, um, then your chances of actually getting published in that journal or any other journal could be significantly low, even if the study is interesting. Right. Well, and, and this has always intrigued me about the, and you and I have talked about this before, there is a, an overwhelming differentiation between science and fact. Yes. And it's just don't and let not, those two be confusing. I am time. not picking on people. Right, right. But science is the pursuit of theory through discovering facts. Yeah. Facts can be manipulated and often are. And those actually create individual truths, if you will, which are then interpreted into what science believes to be theory. Right. And, and I know that that's hard for people to grasp or come along with, but I mean, if you really take it back and look at, you know, it was science theory 
and therefore fact at one point that the earth was flat. Yeah. I know that sounds silly and ridiculous. And Jason, that's a really immature, you know, example, but it's something overwhelmingly obvious that we can all understand right now. Medicine, (laughs) they call it a practice for a reason. We don't know what's going on. Let's try this. That worked. Great. Keep it up. Right. And so this, this whole area, this whole, what you're talking about in terms of, you know, manipulating the, the facts that you're uncovering that you're, when you're studying something in particular, there's another concept that happens a lot th- that it happens way more than people, I think, either want to admit, care to admit, or would even believe but it's something called p-hacking. This is another concept here that, that influences um, people's perception of the world around them. And what p-hacking means, so there's, a, there's, a, there's, there's the, the p-value, which is what researchers are looking for, which is to determine whether something is statistically significant. So when you have a correlation between two things, the sun comes up, I eat breakfast. If we can correlate those two, and then the stronger the p-value, actually, the more I collect all this data that when the sun comes up, people have breakfast. And the more that I'm finding that I'm collecting data where that's happening, and then I, when I analyze that data, I can say, well, it happens in you know um, only like 0.2% or 0.02%, I should say, of the, uh, of the world does not eat breakfast. Therefore, it is statistically significant that when the sun comes up, people have breakfast. Okay. So the P number is just the number that, that we arbitrarily try to aim for to say whether or not something is statistically significant, i.e. it's interesting. Right. Okay. Um, but the problem with the P number is you can hack it, meaning you can beat the data until it's bloody and in a pulp and you can beat the data for long, if you beat the data long enough, that the data will eventually show you something that you want to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's one of the ways what, how academics make their studies interesting so that they can actually get published. Keep in, keep in mind that at a lot of these big universities, if you're not published, you don't you get don't things matter. like tenure and you don't matter in your, in no. your, in your university. So you have to get published. And some of these studies might take you a couple of years. It might take you one to two years just to write the friggin' protocol before you even start collecting data. Mm-hmm. And then you might spend another year or two collecting data and then another six months analyzing data. So four years, five years might go by in conducting a study only to realize, wait, there's nothing interesting. Crap. Yeah. I'm not going to get published. Let's beat the data enough until something interesting emerges. And then I'll publish on that. Right. Well, and then the title of your date of your study and your hypothesis, if you will, doesn't come out that when the sun comes up, you know, people eat breakfast, right? The, that title gets word crafted in support of your data to say that if the sun wouldn't come up, everyone would die of starvation. Sure. And now you've got everybody's attention. Now you've got everybody's and attention. in that 0.02%, you can actually show that in, um, oh, I don't know, Alaska, where it's dark for six months out of the year, um, 200 people died of starvation. And yeah. so therefore, if the sun doesn't come up at the normal time at six o'clock in the morning, the whole world would starve. Yeah. 
And, <laughs> and the problem with, so we, we've had, we have this concept where the va- in order to, in order to change the scientific belief out there, uh, you have to have the old codgers die off so that new ideas can rise to the surface. But then when your new ideas rise to the surface, if your studies aren't interesting, then you're not going to get noticed. So in order to get my studies noticed, my ideas noticed, I got to beat to death the data. So now I'm p-hacking everything. Um, but now that I've massaged the data so much to come up with some kind of crazy conclusion, now we run into the realm of we have this replication crisis. And what does that mean? Well, anytime we set up some kind of a study, some kind of an experiment, it should be it should be performed in such a way that other scientists can replicate it. They can, they can look at what you did and say, let me do exactly what you did, Jason, and I'm going to see what results I get. Right. Right. And we want that in science because that helps us to determine, was I, was it just a fluke on my end or did I really discover something interesting? The problem is, is with all the P hacking and everything that goes on, we've hit a place, we've come to a place in a lot of our research where we cannot replicate the studies. In fact, other studies have looked at the, the methodologies used and found out it's impossible to replicate. Some scientists are trying to replicate other studies and they're getting completely different results. And so we can't even take the initial studies at face value because we have no idea what transpired. Everything's been beaten to death. And then yet these ideas, if they get out into the ether, right. you can't refute them. You can't them. refute them. It's bullshit. We go back to that previous concept. Mm -hmm. And then you have people that just worship at the altar of science who know nothing about science and go, well, follow the science the science says. Right. And, you know, okay. So we've talked multiple times about asking, asking questions. You don't have to challenge everything at face value, but ask questions, even if it is for clarification standpoint. I mean, and, and any scientist or any psychologist or any theorist or any scientist about should be able to stand their data should be able to stand questions i'm not saying questioning the results but even questioning the methodology and you talked about you know okay um i'll use your example sun comes up eating breakfast where was the study conducted where was the data pulled from you know what were people having for breakfast? Did you sample anybody who actually works nights? What does that look like? You know what I mean? Those are just simple questions on, and sure. actually worth asking because it sure. gives you va- a valuable perspective. You brought up the, um, the uh, example of people getting struck by lightning in New York. Well, is New York overwhelmingly more susceptible to lightning strikes? Probably not, but there's more people there. There's just more people there. So if we actually take that data set and move it out to another part of the country, are you more likely to get struck by lightning in Wyoming? I know you're more likely to your hat blow off in Wyoming because that's it's windy as crap out there and there's nothing to slow it down because it's flat. But that doesn't mean you're more susceptible to be hit by lightning. There's a hell of a lot less people there too. Does that change the odds? No, not necessarily. But if there's 8 million people in one place, are you likely to find more people that that happening to than, you know, 50,000 somewhere else? Those are just asking questions about actually looking at the data. Right. 
And well, when you the, oh, go ahead, we, I was going to say we see this with things like during storms, during storm seasons. You see this with like tornadoes. More people are getting there's more property damage from tornadoes or more deaths from tornadoes, and people immediately run to well, it's global warming. But yet, if you look at the data of different storms, it's not that tornadoes are becoming more prevalent and storms are becoming more fierce. It's that more people have moved into areas where tornadoes occur. Right. And so when you have more people living in tornado alley, there's a greater percentage chance that humans are going to be attacked by a tornado. Right. Yeah. And I, I did see this actually, I think it was actually on the weather channel. They were talking about this oddly enough. Um, they said, you know, tornadoes have done like a hundred times more property damage in the last five years than previous. Well, and they said, well, all right, here, let's look at tornado alley. There's exactly 100 times more houses and property right. being built in this area than there were five years ago. Oh, well, that makes sense. Right. But that's not your headline. No. That the headline is not very interesting. More people building in Tornado Alley. You know what right. people re respond when they hear that? Well, you dummy. Right. That's pretty <laughs> stupid. <laughs> there's a uh, there's another this this doesn't this this has more to do with people um, in natural discourse. And I see this a lot on social media. Uh, I do encounter this um, sometimes among the people that I know. Most people don't like to talk to me about this stuff because, well, they just don't want to be challenged on it, but whatever. Um, but there's this concept. Yeah, you're familiar with the term, with the concept of Occam's razor, which is, mm -hmm. the you know, given two things, the one that is the most simple is usually the right one, right? Right. Kind of watered down version of it. Yeah. Um, but there's another razor called Hitchens razor. So what Hitchens razor says is what can be asserted without evidence can be dismissed without evidence. So if you make a claim, if I, for example, if I were to come out and I were to say more people or global warming is driving more tornadoes and thus killing more people, if it's incumbent upon me to offer evidence to prove my point, it is not incumbent upon you to try to provide evidence to prove me wrong. Because if, if that's the case, you're trying to prove it's, you're trying to prove a, a null value and you can't mm -hmm. do that. So if I make an assertion, if I'm setting forth an argument and I say, this is what's happening, then it's incumbent upon me to provide evidence, not incumbent upon anybody else to prove me wrong. You are 100% correct. And society would say you are 100% wrong. Correct. I yes. mean, the example yeah. that you gave just earlier tonight about our ESPN correspondent making his claim on TikTok that everybody who's um, not getting the vaccine is doing so out of fear. My immediate question is, what makes you say that? Right. Where, where's your, where's your data? What, what evidence do you have that that's actually a valid statement? And most people, and, and I'll say, especially in our, our mass media culture, um, and unfortunately, even our social media has become mass media just because of its reach. Most people in that realm are making claims without any, any, um, it's, it's any obligation on themselves to provide any sort of evidence for those. And <laughs> I'm sorry, our, our mass media platforms, Fox, MSNBC, CNN, C-SPAN, all, all of those do that on a regular basis. 
and overwhelmingly obvious. Um, and I'm not, I'm not picking in on any one of them. I'm picking on all of them because it happens everywhere. Um, you know, it, it's something as simple. Um, okay. Well, our president said this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated says who, right. Says what, what evidence is there of that? And I don't mean to keep talking about COVID, but everybody's talking about it. So I'll bring that up. What evidence right now provides any sort of backup to that statement? I'm all ears. Right. And I haven't heard any yet. And you likely will not. No, you will not. Absolutely will not. There's another concept here called decision fatigue. What's (laughs) What's interesting about decision fatigue is not many people believe this. But you, it's one that's very easy to, to test uh, because you can, you can test it yourself. Decision fatigue is, is it's as simple as this. The more decisions that you make in a given period, the worse your decisions get. I, yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you rid yourself, if you get rid of a lot of the, the trivial kind of decisions or choices that you can make in a day, you, if you can pare those down, Um, so to free up your energy for making decisions, it's, it can be very mentally taxing to make a lot of decisions. If anybody has ever spent the day in a hospital caring for a loved one and having to make a lot of decisions by the end of the day, you are exhausted. Yep. You're absolutely exhausted. Well, and take it to a level that everybody can understand. Everybody can understand. Everybody makes decisions during their normal workday. Sure. Everybody does. They, they may not be life altering, like, you know, what you're talking about in the hospital, but I mean, everybody makes decisions. I guarantee you by three o'clock, you're pooped, right? You're, you're How many times at the end of the day has anybody out there in the sound of my voice near the end of the day, you know what? I, I don't even, I don't even care. Yeah, sure. Do right. that. That's fine. I, I don't care. <laughs> you're not like that at eight o'clock in the morning. Well, maybe you are depending upon how much coffee you've had, but right. we'll say by 10 o'clock in the morning. You're ready to rock and roll. You're fired up. You're mate. You're you're on the fly. You're ready to go. By three thirty four, you're done. Your brain is fried. You're over it. Somebody could say, "Hey, do you want to fit in this cup?" Yeah, sure. What was that for? I don't know. Don't worry about it. I mean, that's the kind of dumb. Deci- that's where your brain gets. You are done with trying to figure anything out. <laughs> <laughs> You know, like that usually, that's usually how we start. You know, what's, what's interesting is we record, we record at nine o'clock at night. So by the time we're actually ready to hit the record button, you and I have already made a ton of decisions. So yeah, our, we, we're, we're pretty much taxed as it is. Yep. Which is why we're already laughing our butt off, just trying to get started. Cause just it's, trying it's, to get, it's started. always a circus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Always every single time, every single time there's a, there's another interesting one. Um, I love this one. It's actually an, an argument for religion in my view. Um, it, it's called Chesterton, Chesterton's Fence. And what this says is that if there's a law or a tradition, if there's something that society has, has had for a very long time, even though it seems to you to be so irrational, and you're like, why do we do this? We shouldn't even have it. Then you should not move to get rid of it. Oh, Absolutely. Because there's, there's, there's something about that. If society over countless years has said, you know what, there's value here. We recognize that there's value. Y- you have come along now and you think, oh no, that's just dumb. Well, wait a minute. You've got 
hundreds of thousands of millions of people before you that said, no, 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 this is, there's something actually good here. Maybe it warrants you take pausing for a little while and getting to know what that thing is, because maybe you'll actually be enlightened by it. Right. Right. I, I lovingly call that the precedence principle. Sure. That's a good it's, one. I like that. <laughs> if there's yeah. been enough precedence up until this point, and that's the way we've always done it, it's not going to change. And for you to come along and change it, you better slow your roll and figure out why that's there first. If you can make a valid case for it to be changed after that, then okay, we'll hear your argument. Yeah. But, um, and, and I've heard that uh, um, progress for the sake of progress must be discouraged. I, I'm, I've heard that. I'm sure you have too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I'm, change is fine. I'm, I'm open to change, but there must be a reason for change. Change yeah. for the sake of change, I think, my personal opinion, um, should be discouraged. Because if there's no reason to change, then why are you doing it? Now, if you can cite fault in a, a policy or a procedure or something that we're naturally doing and come up with a better mousetrap or a better solution to that, then why shouldn't we investigate it? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But if you just don't like it, well, tough. There's got to be a reason for it. Right, right. Here's another, here's another concept. It's called purposeful stupidity. <laughs> <laughs> So um, in 1944, the CIA, uh, they published a field manual laying out strategies to sabotage a society from within. So these are tactics um, that they would, that, that they outlined to implement, to help bring down like a foreign government, mm -hmm. okay? foreign entity, okay, or at least penetrate, make, make a country unstable through society. Um, so that way the, 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 the governing body can be easily overthrown. Um, listen to some of this because it's, uh, it's kind of eerie. Keep this, uh, keep some of these things in mind about what's, okay. think about what's going on today. Yeah, um, I am. In the uh -huh. States. So one point is the first point, insist on doing everything through channels. Never permit short never permit shortcuts to be taken in order to expedite decisions. Yeah. Fast decision making is not a is is not a good thing, if you're wanting to overthrow society. Another point: make speeches, talk as frequently as possible and at great length. Illustrate your points by long anecdotes and accounts of personal experiences. This is like what our politicians love to do. Uh huh. Like kids touching my legs. Yeah. <laughs> corn pop. Good old corn pop. When possible, refer all matters to committees for further study and consideration. Attempt to make the committee as large as possible, never less than five. Yep. That's called Congress. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or the Bring, Supreme Court. Yeah. 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 Supreme Court. Bring up irrelevant issues as frequently as possible. Yeah. Turn the news on. Watch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Haggle over precise wordings of communications, minutes, resolutions. Oh my God. This is like work. Yeah. <laughs> right. Refer back to matters decided upon at the last meeting and attempt to reopen the question of the advisability of that decision. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Any organization I've ever been a part of has had these issues. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh my God. The last point here is advocate caution. Advocate caution. Be reasonable and urge your fellow conferees to be reasonable and avoid haste, which might result in embarrassments or difficulties later on. Go back to channels, speeches, throwing everything back into committee. Right. Yeah, we need to talk about this more, not actually do anything. Not actually doing anything. This and this leads to what's called mediocrity. Mm-hmm. So in a in a democracy or in an organization that we really just want to uh, keep going, we just want to preserve mm-hmm. <clears throat> masonry. Uh-huh. Um, it works because you don't pick the best leaders you pick the most average leaders. You pick the ones that aren't going to really rock the boat or change. Right. Because the purpose is to, is not to progress so much as it is to just keep things the way they are. Right. I I don't want to actually make anything better or change anything. I just want to make sure somebody doesn't make too many waves that we have to address. So, right. Yep. So I'm going to completely look at the grand lodge in a whole new light now. (laughs) I'm looking at our existing leadership in our government right now and going, as if oh, I didn't I already totally get it, but as if I didn't already. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, yeah, I can, I can actually see that. I I'm trying to think of someone in a level of Supreme executive power who has no ability to progress the nation in any way for himself. I'm drawing a blank, but I'm trying to, I'm thinking about it. I'll get back to you on that. Who would be the most wet cracker, lame, (laughs) non-buttered toast person I could think of to put in a level of supreme executive power? I'll get back to you. I got a short list of names. Yeah. Like one. Uh, The last one here that we got. uh, Mimetic desire. And I think a lot of people don't recognize this. We do this. Humans do this all the time. We actually learn our behavior from copying what other people do. Yep. I mean, that, that I, I know we recognize that when we're, when we're children, you know, little kids do that. You know, that's why adults make all kinds of stupid faces and say like things like mama, dada, right? So we're trying to get them to mimic us and to learn speech and behavior and all that sort of thing. But adults do it as well. Sure. So, and so we also begin to desire what other people have. So we, we want what the Joneses have, keeping up with the Joneses. We don't know why we want it. There's another plug for minimalism. We don't know why we want that crap. We just know that, well, they have it and therefore I must have it. Um, So I'm going to spend my life savings and I, now I don't know what to do with it and you know, whatever. Mm Mm-hmm. This is also the same type of, of principle that exists in mob mentality. Yes. Where you have reasonable people who might be compelled to suddenly act in unreasonable means simply because the masses of others they are collected are acting in that manner. Yeah. These are why crowds suddenly become mobs very quickly. Yes. And most of the and a lot of times people who are involved in them don't even recognize or remember after the fact what caused them to go from peaceably assembling to burning down the city. Right. Well, and, and keep in mind, you know, there's a, there's a new, so after kind of going through some of these concepts, um, you know, that build on ideology that cause people to do crazy things 
listen to this story, but keeping in mind some of the concepts we talked about. So yeah. there was this, I thought, saw this thread on, uh, on Twitter here, and I'm just going to kind of read through it. Um, Dorian Abbott is a geophysicist at the University of Chicago. And he was to give MIT's prestigious Carlson lecture on October the 21st. The topic was to be climates of extrasolar planets. Unfortunately, MIT canceled the lecture under pressure from activists who objected to his political views. So those who pressured <laughs> MIT, right, those who pressured MIT to cancel Dr. Abbott's lecture opposed his views on diversity, equity, and inclusion. These have nothing to do with the topic of his Carlson lecture. So of course they got into an uproar, got into a tizzy and were able to get him canceled. So again, this is a scientist, mind you. Remember, yeah. follow the science, follow the science, but right. we can't follow the science when somebody is guilty of wrong think. Right. And what's interesting is on this particular thread, um, there's a, there's a doctor here, at least according to her profile, she's a doctor. She has MD after her name. Her reply was Abbott waded into politics when he commented on the diversity policies of his university. That's on him. If he wanted to be judged as scientist only, he should have stayed out of those conversations or he has to accept the consequences. So where is that argument when it comes to, and, and I don't even know this guy. I don't know this guy. I don't know what his arguments were. I don't know what his comments were, but I know this without even know, without knowing any of that. He is obviously a conservative-minded individual. And I know that because only conservative-minded individuals are the ones who get canceled. Right. So where does that argument hold? This one that, that I'm sorry, this doctor, professor, whoever you said, um, said, this gentleman is suffering the consequences from wading into politics. Where does that, that argument hold water? Or if you will, same, same, if it's good for the right hand, it's good for the left hand. Where does that hold with others who are wading into politics? I don't believe that that holds true for any other scientist out there who might be making a argument or justification or, or, saying, you know what, uh, Black Lives Matter, Antifa, we need to be following that ideology. Well, Anybody but, saying that, they're not getting canceled or suffering right. the consequences. Right. So why is that permissible? Right. <clears throat> well, in what's what is interesting about this medical doctor here who said that he shouldn't have he shouldn't have said what he said if he wanted to be judged as a scientist only. Well, by her own logic, she should not be voicing an opinion on the political matter of Abbott speaking at MIT because she's a medical doctor. Exactly. Exactly. So where do you draw the line? Where do you, where do you draw the line on these things? Mm -hmm. You can't just, you know, this is the kind of the concept of you give them an inch, they take a mile, right? Mm -hmm. Because they'll create one rule. And if you abide by that rule, then they're just going to move the goalposts on you again and again and again. Right. And, and these are the same people who will out, who'll be out there talking about free speech. Right. Which cracks me up. Either all speech is protected or none of it is. Right. And the fact of the matter is all speech is, as most people know right now, is not protected. Um, it's this doctor, this professor, excuse me, was guilty of wrong think. He voiced an opinion that didn't jive 
with our current political climate. And so he got canceled for it. Yeah. You know what, what, what kind of irritates me about things like this is, um, <laughs> you know, there's very, there are very few people in Hollywood who have views who share the same views that you or I have. Right. Um, and, and yet when I hear Hollywood, you know, actors and actresses voice their opinions, I don't seek to run out and cancel them. And yet I can still watch their films or television shows and enjoy whatever entertainment that they produced without their politics getting into the way of my enjoyment of it. Mm -hmm. why, why, can't, why can't that also happen with people on the left? Why can't they say, you know what? I don't agree with his politics, but I'm really interested to know what Dorian, what Dorian Abbott has to say about the climates of extrasolar planets. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> You because, know, I, I mean, I, well, I say I that can, same. I say that with 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 Hollywood actors and actresses. Well, I don't agree with their politics, but you know what? That's a funny guy, and that movie looks hysterical. So I'm going to watch it. Mm -hmm. No, you can't. Um, you have to understand for for, and I'm I'm not trying to generalize everyone, but I but I will to a point. For a vast majority of the leftists who have bought into the ideology that is being perpetrated right now, it is all or nothing. You are with us or you're against us. And you have to buy into that with everything you have. And I don't believe that a vast majority of the conservatives believe that. They're like, you know what? I think conservatives overall, and this maybe I'm biased, and I, I can admit that too, that a vast majority of conservatives say, you know what? We may not agree on a lot of things, but that doesn't mean I have to hate you. Right. That doesn't mean I have to despise you. That doesn't mean I can't have you over for dinner and enjoy a meal together. Right. Yeah, well, and I'll say that way. And and I've we've said this before, and I'll say it again, which is, you know, conservatives tend to look at at liberals as being good people with bad ideas. Yes. But the left looks at people on the right as being evil people with evil ideas. Mm -hmm. And with yes. people that view the other side in such stark differences there's very little way that you can actually reach common ground with one side looks at the other as evil people with evil ideas. And it doesn't matter what the ideas are. Those, those people are always evil. So even if those nasty conservatives change their views to think like the liberals are, the liberals will still see them as evil people and therefore will want them canceled. It doesn't matter. Right. And unfortunately, and what I think you're seeing right now, and there was actually a study done at a, a university in the Midwest here recently that actually is showing what I believe is, is, is true, that most conservatives out there are starting to become overwhelmingly jaded and say, fine, if you are going to hate me because of me being seeing things differently than you, then now you're starting to become a serious threat to my way of life and starting to actually retort in that same level of disdain. I believe that, I don't believe that this country has been more hostily divided than it is right now. Even in the 60s, when this country was divided, it wasn't hostile. 
I'm noticing hostility. Yeah. And I think a vast majority of Americans are noticing it as well, that the people who are who view this country with such ideological differences than they do actually see them as a threat to them individually. Well, I've got one thing here that I wanted to end on so that it was actually on a crazy uh, cliffhanger. <laughs> okay. All right. I don't have nicotine stained fingers. Oh, oh bummer. <laughs> but listen to this. This was actually something that was pulled off of uh, Reddit. Okay. Ready for this? No, probably not. I'm going to read this thing to you and you're, I, I, I'm, I know you're just going to you're going to want to yeah i can't wait to see your face (laughs) so this was off of reddit under a category called confession okay my wife and i confronted our kids about their affair wait what (laughs) no what my wife and i confronted our kids about their affair okay let me read it yeah go ahead Now, remember, I'm going to be using the pronoun I, but this has nothing to do with actual me because right. I'm reading this. You're reading, you're reading the post. We all got I'm it. Reading it's okay. A, we know reading, you don't have kids and this is right. you. So, okay, right. go ahead. I'm reading a post here. It says, I posted over a week ago about how I know my son and daughter are sleeping with each other. Ah. And today I would like to give an update to the situation. I first had a long discussion with my wife about what to do. We both knew for a while and had decided to let it continue, but we have not talked about it in months. Wait, what? They knew for a... They... What? After some discussion, we realized that we both find it arousing that our kids are together, but we were both too embarrassed to admit admit it to each other. So that was pretty awkward. What? Oh, my God. We decided that we would tell them we know and that we would be 100% supportive of their relationship. Oh. Oh, my God. Hold on. It gets better. The talk was not as hard as I expected. We laid out before we laid out before we admitted we knew that that they were not in trouble. It's weird. They don't have the right commas in the right place. We laid out before we admitted we knew that they were not in trouble and that they could continue and we were supportive of them. They looked so red, it was as if we had caught them in the act. But after they calmed down, we had a long and serious talk. In the end, we learned that they are using every birth control method imaginable on their own. Really? Every single one. I cannot explain how proud of them I am for that. At least there's a silver lining. Uh, And that they haven't been with anyone else except each other. We agreed to let them move into the same room and that they can be open about their relationship at home. The dynamic of our family life has changed a lot over the last few days. And I am curious to see how it will continue to evolve. 
Oh my good god. What really frightens me about this? This is where it ends. So I'm done reading. Uh, okay, okay, okay. Uh -huh. What I'm where I'm really frightened about this is brother and sister are banging. Mom and dad were aroused. Uh-huh. The kids now live in the same room. Why did they have to move into the same room together? They live under the same they live in the same house. But whatever, I digress. I'm no. really nervous that this whole thing could take a really weird turn for the worse. What? Whoa! What weirder turn could this possibly <laughs> take than where it's at right at this second? Should I spell it out for you? Two plus two equals four. You mean I? I I'm waiting for all four of them to be getting down and dirty. In the uh, bedroom. Uh, no. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh. that that's where I, I read this and I got to the end because he even he even ends. I am curious to see how it will continue to evolve the uh. family life. Yeah, I'm afraid at how it could continue to evolve. You know, there was a time not not long ago. And I mean, not long ago that this kind of behavior was it was a bad joke to a part a southern part of our country and it was generally disgusting behavior and mental i mean you you understand what i'm saying right yeah the disgusting even more than the physical act of what's happening here and what is actually going on what's even more disgusting is i do believe our society has degraded to a point that this kind of thing could actually be celebrated not shut down and not ridiculed and not called out that is absolutely disgusting what There's the a lot of hell there are a lot happened. of problems in this family. There are a lot of problems in this family. Yeah, they need serious psychological counseling. Oh, they right need now. Jesus, and they need a lot of psychological counseling. They they really <sighs> they they really they really do. I mean, there's. I don't. I mean, yeah. This is all we have on I, which I ha to judge them, I, I'm, I'm, or to judge I'm at, this whole scenario. I'm at a loss of words. I know, right? Uh, at first, I was completely destroyed. I'm like, how the hell? You said you actually knew, and you and for months you let it go, right? Right. Well, they now I months. know. I mean, it just I, oh, I, I, I have all kinds of questions. Well, I don't have that many questions. I just, I'm really concerned about the parents. Well, I'm really concerned about the kids too. One, I'm wondering how old are the kids. Are they in high school? Are they in their early 20s? Uh, how old are the parents? I really want to know, like, how old are we talking about here? Are they, they preteen? I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't know what's going on. Not that it makes it better. I'm not trying to... to I, 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 just think it, I, I just think it provides additional context here. But, but the fact that mom and dad were secretly aroused, that what? really bothers me. What? Well, that the whole thing bothers me. I can't find. Yeah. Just. <laughs>
it's not like there's it's not like everything is hunky dory and there's like there's one thing that bothers me when i say that this thing bothers no, I, like the whole thing bothers me i, I just I, I, what what i i got nothing <laughs> i can't, uh, i'm broken i i i i have nothing i have absolutely no, I, i'm 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 just Gross. (laughs) That's not funny. (laughs) That is not fun. Oh, hell no. That's closer. Yeah, that's closer. I, I just, I. It, it it really breaks my heart. I mean, genuinely breaks my heart that we have degraded our the fabric of our society to a point that this is actually considered acceptable behavior for the kids, for parents. I mean, shit. I would, if, if this were me, if I were that father and I was allowing that, I would expect CPS at any point to bust down my door and take my kids away. I mean, that is. FBI, open up! Yeah, pretty much like that. That is borderline <laughs> child abuse. And what kind of psychological damage are you causing these kids? I mean, think about what this is actually teaching them about sexual expressiveness and and proper behavior because as a parent you are your your job is to mold future adults who are going to go out and replicate behavior you talked about this before with the mama dada we learn by emulating or replicating behavior what are these two children, these two kids? Let's pretend these are the only two kids that this is happening with right now in the whole world. What are they going to go out and do and teach other kids who are then going to go out and do this is this is indicative of a systemic problem? You want to follow the science? Science has shown the actual damage that incest can cause our human species. It is a very serious problem. Well, and I, I just, I feel bad. I think everybody in this family is going to wind up just emotionally and psychologically and perhaps even socially destroyed over this. I, yes. I, I, I don't believe anything good can come of this. No, uh, from with for any of these people. I mean, the the kids aside, I'm assuming these, I'm assuming these kids are in high school. Again, I don't know. Yeah, I, I would I would assume as well, just based sure. on the dynamics you've laid out. Yeah, I I, w- I would assume that they're. That's a lot of, that's a lot of emotional and psychological baggage to carry around for at such a young age for such a long time. I, I I'm. I'm very fearful for those kids, um, probably more so for the daughter than I am for the son, but I'm still yeah. fearful for him as well. Um, and I'm feel, fearful for mom and dad too, because at some point, you know, the, the, the shame, the guilt, all of that can just, you know, strike back 
reality has a, has a, has a, it can be a harsh mistress and can, mm-hmm. can whip back and, and slap you upside the head when you least expect it and just cause you all kinds of hurt. Um, yeah. I, and I, um, I, I don't mean to sound um, spiteful or vindictive, but I, I truly hope that that mistress strikes this down before you allow it to continue to do additional harm more than it already has because this that's not something that is going to uh, uh, rectify itself soon i hope it does because the consequences that you're talking i mean i i just i can't i can't even like i can't even speak to it anymore i just that's disgusting beyond beyond thought all right. Well, that takes us to the end of this episode. Oh, great. That's super <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, if you made it this far, hey, thanks for sticking around. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you didn't, no harm, no foul. Totally understand. Yeah, we totally get it. Um, anyway, uh, you've been listening to Fusion Underground. You can check out all of our stuff over at uh, fusionunderground.net. You'll catch this, uh, this podcast and every single one of our podcasts off of there. So have at it. All right. For Jason Moret, I'm Manuel Ramirez. You've been listening to the Fusion Underground. Have a good night.